Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. I want to welcome you. If you're visiting, my name's Tim. It's my privilege to serve as the senior pastor here at Venture, and I am excited about this season we're in. I'm excited that we're launching the Christmas season. We're launching a Christmas series. I'm particularly excited about this series. I am partnering with Chip Ingram, uh, my predecessor here and president CEO of Living on the Edge. And so we're doing this series together and we're looking at the kind of peace that only Christ can bring. We're looking at how do you have a peace that defies expectation? Frankly, a peace that defies our fears. Because whether we realize it or not, I I think there's probably more fear around Christmas than we like to admit. In fact, I I love the the old Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It, It has a line in it, it's talking about Bethlehem when Jesus was born. And it says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And I think it captures so much. When Jesus was born, all the hopes of all the years but also all the fears, everything that we've been against, everything we're up against, everything that can overwhelm, all of that comes together and it's answered through the birth and life of Jesus Christ. You know, in this series, there's a, we're gonna look at four narratives and in every one of these stories, different characters over the four weeks, angels are gonna show up and they always show up with the first two words, fear not. Now, part of it is if you saw an angel, you'd be afraid. But you'll notice in each of these stories, they speak to the heart of the person and in unique things that they're wrestling with and they're dealing with. Because Christmas has probably a lot more hope and fear than we like to admit. In fact, I, I looked and I was researching some of the phobias, not just normal fears, Phobias related to Christmas. I don't know if you have any of these. I'd never heard of them. Uh, Tyrannodonophobia. That's the fear of reindeer. Yeah, I don't know. Anybody here? That's you? Keanophobia. That's the fear of snow. Now, fortunately, where we live, we don't have to deal with that a whole lot. Duranophobia. Duranophobia. This is an interesting one. The fear of gifts. I don't know what the opposite of that is, but that's what my children have. They have the opposite of duranophobia. Theophobia, theophobia, the fear of elves. I kind of get that one. They're a little creepy. Even that one on the shelf that keeps moving. Yeah, that one. Sisanophobia, sisanophobia. This is kind of a strange one. Fear of getting kissed under mistletoe. And maybe it's the fear of who would kiss you under the mistletoe. The, uh, pretty straightforward one here, Santaphobia. Fear of the big guy, fear, fear of Santa. And then this one, I don't know why they had to make even the word so hard to say. Christugenia ticophobia. That's the fear of Christmas itself. And maybe you're there, maybe not at a phobia level, but maybe you felt that feeling right when Thanksgiving in, the calendar changes and Christmas is here. Maybe you don't have the fear of Christmas in general as a phobia, but there can be a lot of fears around Christmas. The fear of what's going on in the world right now. 
It's interesting to me, you go back to Bethlehem, even right now, with all this happening in Israel and all the conflict, the hopes and fears of all the years, we find ourselves there again. The fear of what's going on in our culture. You find yourself, am I even allowed to say Merry Christmas in this context with all the cultural changes? Maybe it's fear of your family and you know you're about to get together and the tension that's going on right now. The fear of the expectations of what Christmas is supposed to be. Or fear financially. Can you even pull off Christmas this year? Maybe it's the fear of being alone again. And the emotional fears that you have. See, I think as we read through these stories, the powerful thing that I find in them, it doesn't just speak about an event 2,000 years ago. It speaks to our lives now. Every single one of them. And, And as we look at it, this coming of Jesus, what he accomplished, and how we can face even our current fears, even our current disappointments, because of what he did. In fact, if you you look in the context of when Jesus came, the the first of these stories you'll see in Luke chapter one, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there, in Luke chapter one, and it came in a time when the people of Israel, they were living with a lot of fears. They were living with a lot of disappointment. Life was not the way they thought it was supposed to be. In fact, it had been 400 years since God had spoken to them. If you look in the book of Malachi, it's the last book that was written in the Old Testament, the last of their prophets. And the last words in Malachi, God said, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Up until that time, they they had had a series all the way going back to Abraham where God had spoken to his people and he'd spoken through his people and he'd spoken to the kings and he'd spoken through the judges and he'd spoken through the prophets and these prophecies came and came and came and then Malachi speaks and it goes silent. And not just 100 years, not just 200 years, not just 300 years, 400 years They've heard nothing. And then during that time, they've seen world power after world power to now the the kingdom of Rome, the empire of Rome dominated the planet. And they're under the thumb of Caesar Augustus who could do whatever he wants, decree whatever he wants, call a census and taxes whenever he wants. They live in a land where even the religion of Israel at that point has become so political. And there's so many divisions in the political party. The culture itself feels like it's turning. They live under a king appointed by Rome, King Herod, who's not even fully Jewish. He doesn't even embrace their religion. Kind of this puppet king who did what he wanted and ruled over the people. In the middle of this time of disappointment and silence, it'd be easy for the nation as a whole to go, God, 
What are you doing? Have you forgotten about us? In fact, in our story, it's not just the nation. The story zeroes into one couple who walk through their own personal pain, their own personal disappointment. If you look in Luke chapter one, verse five, it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And so he is of the tribe of Aaron. If you're the, of, of the tribe and he's a Levite, he's a priest, you'd be a priest. She is a, as well. So she's grown up in priestly family. I mean, they have grown up serving the Lord. They've grown up and then in their adult life, their married life, he's faithfully served the Lord as a priest. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So he's not just professionally a priest, he also trusts God. She trusts God, they believe, they followed God's word. They're right before God, it says they walked blamelessly. This does not mean they were sinless. Doesn't mean they were perfect people. What it's describing here is, they had put their faith in God. And so when God had sacrificed in the temple system, when God had the law, when they brought their own sins and their sacrifice to it, they trusted God and believed God and they followed him in all of his work. They're living this blameless life. No one could look at them and go, oh, that couple, I'll tell you what they do wrong. No, they're faithful. But then look at this last line, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Here's the crushing blow in it. Because especially in that time period and in that culture and in Jewish culture, children were the most tangible blessing from God. And it was assumed in that culture, if you didn't have a child, well, you did something wrong. Or somebody sinned. Yeah, maybe you look blameless. Maybe you're, you know, a priest and all, but we know, I mean, if God hasn't given you a child, that, I mean, that says it all. I mean, this went so deep later in this passage, Elizabeth will describe her life. And she describes, I've lived under disgrace as a woman. The, the, the pain, that private pain, but in their case, it's not really even private pain because when you lived as a priest, in front of everybody. Their life's on display in that. To carry that pain, and, and many of you know, if, if you've walked through infertility at all, I mean, Lee and I, we were married almost nine years before we had our first child. We had five years of, of just struggling with infertility and the pain that comes from that, and the tears that come every month. And, and this feeling that you just have of, of failure even though you, you may cognitively know, and we live in an age where we have medical technology and we know so much more with it. There's still a pain that goes so deep and they've carried it, not for a few years. Look what it says. They're, they're advanced in years. They're past the age where you have kids. And, and that combination, sometimes that juxtaposition can be so hard because you read stories like this in scripture, how they're described as righteous, but then you look at their circumstance. And, and I, I would just say for us, blameless living is not a guarantee of all the blessings of life. It's not. And this is one of the hardest truths. 
Because even if we know it cognitively, there's a part of us that can kind of work out a deal with God that, you know, God, if I'm a Christian and man, if I'm reading your word and I'm following, I'm doing the best that I can in it and I'm faithful in it, I'm supposed to experience blessing in life or at least kind of stay in the middle of it. There's many of you here that, that you would go, yeah, I feel that. Man, I, I am to the best of my ability faithful to what God's called me to. But when I look at my life, and you look at your family and you go, this is not what I expected. My job is not where I thought it was gonna be. My kids are not where they're gonna be. I didn't think I'd be alone at this season of life. In fact, some of you, you are single and alone because you're faithful to God. Because you're willing to live according to his word. You suddenly look out and you go, man, my dating pool got really small. There's a loneliness that comes. And, and that disappointment that can settle into that. And, and you can find yourself in a place where that disappointment just settles over all of life. Even how you see life, even how you see God. And I say that because as we go on in this story, you're gonna see in Zechariah, he's kind of settled in a kind of a level of disappointment despite what God's doing. And it's easy for us to kind of jump on him and go, oh, come on, get with it. I, I cut him some slack with all that he's been through and all that they've shared. In this story, we, we find them that he has his big day. And I told you he served as a priest. There was about 18,000 priests. And they lived all throughout the, the nation of Israel. And about one week or two weeks out of the year, you were required to travel to Jerusalem. You were assigned a different week. And, and as a priest, you would come because there was so many activities around the temple, so many things that had to be between caring for livestock, between caring for the temple ground, caring for the actual worship with that. And then they had these special roles where they would draw it by lot, where just the few chosen for that time on that day would be the priest who actually got to serve inside the temple. And it says in this passage, Zechariah's lot was chosen. This was his day. He was gonna actually get to go into the holy place of the temple. And there was the table of showbread, bread, and there was the, the, the candlestick, the golden candlestick. And he had the special role of serving at the altar of incense, the altar right next to the veil, right next to the Holy of Holies. And on that altar, the burning incense and the smoke, and he would take a censer from it and, and they would wave that with it. And the smoke of that incense would go to the Holy of Holies and it would go up and it was his responsibility on that day to lift up the prayers of the people. As the priest, he would represent the people before God in prayer. And, and when you got to do this special role, there was no guarantee you'd ever get to do it. Some people went a whole lifetime. But this was his special day. And you had to wear special robes and vestments. And, and I can only imagine Elizabeth as she saw Zechariah standing there and he's in the special vestments and he's getting to go for it in this honored day. Like so, some sense of vindication that God chose him, that he gets to do this. And, and as he goes there and he's, he's there offering the altar of incense and he's offering these prayers to God, 
This amazing thing happens after 400 years. God speaks. Read in the text, verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, fear not, do not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of me. Now look at the reason why though. It's not just, oh, don't be afraid because it's an angel. Let me tell you why I'm here. Look what he says. Fear not, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. See, I, I, I love this because when the angel shows up and he says, hey, you don't have to be afraid. God heard you. God heard your prayer. And when he was there, he's praying for the nation as a whole, but somewhere in that prayer for the nation, boy, the, the prayers of his heart bleed out. What he's longed for his whole life. And the angel says, God heard you. And, and here's what I would encourage all of us. Never give up bringing the desires of your heart to God. Never give up praying. Never give up taking it to him. And, and, and as I say that, it, it doesn't obligate him to you. There's no amount of prayer that we do that God's obligated to bend his will and all that. But it will bond you to him. And he calls you to do that. He says, actually cast your cares on me because I actually care. He says, you, you can approach me as a great high priest because I've been tempted and I've been through everything you've been through. And you can bring that to me. You can bring your struggles to me. You can bring your disappointments to me. You can bring the deepest desires of your heart to me. Guys, I, I would encourage you, don't ever stop bringing it to God. And, and, and the reason I say this is, I, I've seen people, even blameless people, become bitter people. Because over time, at some point, instead of bringing it to God, they kind of step back from God. And they allow that wall of disappointment to build up. And now I'm, I'm not just disappointed with the circumstances in my life, I'm disappointed with God. And, and I, I would encourage you, I, I believe the reason this couple stayed blameless, I think the reason this couple for a lifetime stayed that way is they never stopped taking it to God. They never expressed it. They never had a point where they said, I'm, I'm, I, it's no use, it's not worth it. Even in the pain of it, they trusted God with it. And God's answered their prayers. I mean, on this day when he answers it, he says, you're not just gonna have a son, he's gonna be the fulfillment that the world's been waiting for. He's gonna be the fulfillment that the nation's been waiting for. He's not going to be a priest, by the way. He's gonna be a prophet. And there's a big difference. See, the priest went and they represented the people to God. And that's what had been happening for 400 years. They would go and they'd take the prayers and they'd deliver them to God. And now 400 years later, he says, it's time for a prophet. A prophet brought the message from God. Because God's about to do something in the world. 
And, and he says, Zechariah, he's not gonna be just any normal prophet. Look what he says. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord to be prepared, for people prepared. He's the fulfillment of Malachi. He's the promise of Malachi. Zechariah, God's not just gonna give you a son. He's about to prepare the way. He's about to bring a savior. God's about to do something really exciting in the world and it's gonna happen through you. And I don't know about you, but man, if I'm sitting there and I'm hearing that and an angel saying that and you got the incense all around, you're in the middle of the temple, I'd get pretty fired up. Not our boy, Zech. Look at his response. Zechariah said to the angel, well, how shall I know this? I mean, how, how am I gonna know this is true? And he kind of just goes, I'm an old man. My wife's advanced in years. Yeah, we're, we're past that age. And, and I, I think part of what's going on, because it's easy again, I told you, it's easy to kind of get down on Zechariah. But I, I've seen this in ministry. Even good people struggle with doubt and disappointment. It can overwhelm the best of us. And if you carry it long enough and you carry that pain long enough, you can start to put up kind of this wall of self-protection because I, I just don't want to be disappointed again. I don't want to be hurt again. And, and even when God's speaking, it's like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can really trust that. I, I don't really know if you could move in this way. And, and even as Christians, sometimes we, we doubt either the movement of God, we doubt the miracles of God. I mean, this whole narrative that we're gonna see every week, it's built on miracles. It's built on a God who's moved in miraculous ways. And trusting him in that. I heard one pastor, he talked about a, a man in his church that was diagnosed with late stage cancer. It was pretty desperate. They came together as a whole church. They prayed for him. He's miraculously healed. In fact, the doctors came, they go, oh, we don't have an explanation. He said, here, here was the interesting thing. He said, for a couple of months after that, I'd hear people say, hey, do you remember when God healed Gordy of cancer? He said, but about a year later, two years later, here's what I would hear. People would say, hey, do you remember when we thought Gordy had cancer? Somewhere along the way, it was kind of the revised, did that really happen? Can I trust that? And especially if, if you're somebody like this couple that you've gone through years of maybe your disappointment. You've carried your pain for years. It, it's so easy to put up that wall of self-protection, but hear me, hear me. That wall never helps because all you've done is put up a wall that keeps you alone with that pain, keeps you alone with the disappointment. Instead of trusting the God who can answer and might answer and might miraculously answer, but even when he doesn't do what we would want him to do, it gives us the one person in the universe, our savior, who can actually speak into the pain 
sympathize with it, identify and have the power to sustain you through it. When Zechariah answers that way, look what, what the angel Gabriel says. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I mean, he looks at me, he goes, uh, I'm kind of a big deal here. And, and he's not doing it as an ego trip, by the way. But he is pointing out, he is of the highest order of angels. His, his role is in the presence of God. And, and he's saying, I came straight from the throne room of God to bring you this message. This isn't my message as an angel. I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And because you stayed so skeptical in this, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the days these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Uh, some scholars debate. We know that he was mute. He, he could not speak. Some say he was deaf too. Like it was total silence. And, and part of this is kind of strong. He, he's like, man, <laughs> boy, he comes down. But part of it is preparing them though. Because he's gonna have a role in the, the life of John. And, and part of it is as we look at this story, and here's what I would just say to you with it. It's okay to struggle with what we hope God will do. We don't always know how God will move. We don't know if he'll answer in the way we thought. It's okay to struggle with that, but listen to this, never doubt what he says he will do. Gabriel came from the throne room of God. This came from the lips of God. This came as the promise of God. And, and you can take the promises of God to the bank. You can trust the promises of God. In fact, I would encourage you, if you're in a season right now, and maybe you don't know what God's doing, maybe it's been disappointment, maybe you've carried pain for years, I'll have people and they come and I'll counsel them. Sometimes they want answers, specific answers, and I can't always say, oh man, I know exactly what God's gonna do. I will always tell them, and I'll tell you though, I'll always tell them, man, are you spending time in God's word? You need to read your Bible more. You need to go through the promises that he has promised you. Go through the bedrock of that. Spend time with it. And, and sometimes you, you kind of get a response where people go, okay, thank you, pastor. I'm dealing with a big problem. Read my Bible, thank you. That's kind of quaint. And yet, even though it feels quaint, there's nothing more powerful. There's nothing you need more. I, I read an illustration of this. I, I, was fascinating to me that uh, when the NASA, the, the latest NASA rover that they sent to Mars, the Perseverance, it's named Percy. They sent the rover to Mars and it's got a job there, goes along the planet, looks for life, looks for different things, studies with that. When they sent it in 2020, it took a year to get there, got to 2021 was when it arrived. And, and you would think this rover, this piece of technology that they're sending, that every single part of it would be the latest and greatest technology. And yet they chose for the processor, the brain of the rover, they chose a piece of technology from 1997. They went back to the G3, the G3 processor. And back in 1997, 98, remember when the Apple back was released, it had the G3 processor and Apple nerds, man, they were like, oh, that's one of the best. 
And everybody thought it was so powerful at the time. I mean, it could process 266 megahertz. I mean, now your phone does what, 5G? Five gig? Massive amounts more now. Why would they not choose what we have now to put it in there? You know why they chose it? Because the G3 is so reliable. They say, oh yeah, we can have all the latest new information. You know, we want, we want what we know is proven and reliable because this mission is so important. And, and I say this to you, I know this book was written 2,000 years ago, the last parts of it. I know you can look at it and go, oh, it just seems, you know, so quaint. And, 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 you know, it's the Bible with that. And there's so many more books out now. There's so much information. I can get things on the internet. I can see what's going on with it. Hear me, hear me. In your fears, in your frustrations, in your disappointments, go back to the proven, reliable promises of God. Some of you would do well, get off social media. Stop watching network news. Stop watching the latest cable program. Stop watching what everybody says about going on in the world. Stop taking in the latest fear mongering in every level and spend more time with the proven promises of God. It is proven reliable all this time, yeah. And you'd be amazed what it does at heart, what it does at a soul level. And so Zechariah, who stayed in there way too long, by the way, they start getting scared, something happened to him. And then he walks out and he can't say anything. Can't explain it. Goes home to Elizabeth and you know, he's writing things out. And I'm sure she asked him, wait, you, you had a message from God. What, what did God tell us that we need to do? Well, we need to make a baby. Sure, she's like, oh yeah, right, yeah, good one, good try. No, and she she gets pregnant, and she says in it, she 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 just exults. She says, "My disgrace has been removed." You feel how deep that went in her life, and and if you read in this chapter, she's got this young cousin named Mary who's about to be visited by an angel too. And Mary comes and sees Elizabeth, how God wove all the story together. I just want to skip ahead to verse 57. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth. She bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. They rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They would have called him Zechariah after his father. I mean, he's going to be like dad. He'll be a priest. He'll be Zechariah. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. They said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. They made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote his name as John. And they all wondered and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. In fact, if you read the remaining part of this chapter, he speaks this marvelous song. It's like out of the book of Psalms. It's this prophetic passage. It's this beautiful passage. Now he's had nine months to think about it. Nine months where he couldn't serve as a priest because he couldn't talk. Nine months where he had to pull back from the normal stuff of life. Nine months where he hasn't had time with his relationships around. 
nine months of, of setback where God's preparing him and coming out of that, man, he, he speaks the prophetic word of God. And I, I just, for us, I, I would just encourage you, every season of setback is a great opportunity for spiritual discernment and growth. Every season, and you might be in one right now, and you probably don't wanna stay there. But I would encourage you while you were there, just stop and listen and say, God, what do you wanna teach me? God, how are you preparing me? See, he's preparing Zechariah to be the father of a prophet. He's preparing Zechariah to come to grips with what he was doing in their life. And I would just say, I can look back on my life and there's several seasons of setback in it. And I would not wanna go back to them, but I am thankful for them. Because I would say I grew more in those seasons than any other time in life. And, and if you're in it right now, don't resent it. Don't pull back up from God in it. Spend time in prayer in it. Spend time in the promises of God in it. And look for what he wants to do in you and through you. And in Zechariah's case, he delivers this magnificent song. And at the end of it, he ends the song addressing his son, addressing his boy. Look what he says. He says, you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I mean, he has fully embraced that his son is not gonna be a priest, he's gonna be a prophet and not just any other prophet. He's the prophet that was promised. He's the prophet that's preparing the way. He's the prophet that's opening the doors. He's the prophet that's pointing the whole world to the actual light that will come that they've all been desperately waiting for, that all of us need. He sees in that how God has worked, not like they thought he would, not in the timing they thought he would, but we can hold on as well. You can trust that God will give us what we need even more than we, what we want. You can trust that. He wanted a son who would be a priest, just like dad. What he needed, what they needed was a prophet, a prophet who would prepare the way. A prophet who would live a life, I'm sure, different than what his parents thought he would live. I mean, if you read about John the Baptist, this prophet, he's kind of a rough and tumble guy. He's a little bit different. Says that he, he ate honey and locusts. He's kind of a wild man with it. He's dressed in a camel coat. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, your nice sport coat guys, you know, camel coat. I'm talking about a straight off the camel coat. Catch camels, skin a camel, you're dressed, coat. He, he roughed up and caused disturbances with the religious establishment. He would die as a young man in his early 30s, martyred for standing up with, 
for what was right. It was not the life that his parents had dreamed. Even probably what they say they wanted. It was so much more. It's what they needed. It's what the world needed. It's what God was doing. See, the same is true for us. One of those great promises of scripture, Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. He doesn't say all things work together the way we want. All things are work together for our good. God redeems all things. God takes all pain. God takes even the disappointment. God takes even the things. He doesn't say they're good, but he says, you know what? I can work them for your good. And you can trust me for that promise. For those who are called according to his purpose, because he had a plan. He had a plan not only for Zechariah and Elizabeth, he had a plan for Israel. He had a plan that even during those 400 years when they kept going, God, what are you doing? God, when are the promises coming? God, are you ever gonna move? God was preparing the world. Galatians tells us in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came. In fact, if you go back and study through human history, the population index measures that probably about 106 billion people have lived on this planet. And here's the fascinating part. There was a population explosion that happened right after the birth of Jesus. That 98% of the people that have ever lived on this planet were born after that time. Because the world came together, because there was stability with the Roman Empire, because there was a road system that went in, because they studied medicine in a way before, because there was literacy like they'd never experienced, because there was learning and the ability to share information. All of these things converged together at that time in the fullness of time that Jesus came. Because God had a plan and he had a purpose. And even when his people step back from him, they go, God, this is not according to our time frame. This isn't even how we would have wanted it. We wanted a king to come put Israel in charge. And God said, oh no, I've got something so much better. I've got a savior who will not just save your nation. He's gonna save all people who come to him. And that savior needs a prophet who prepares the way. Guys, I don't know what you're dealing with here today. You don't have to gather a group very large before you start running into some real pain and disappointment. A part of your heart may be that you've put up walls of protection. Part of it that God's asked you to live in something for a long time. And the enemy will attack and your own thoughts will attack and everything in your heart wants to pull back from him or question him. Hear me, the story of Christmas tells us again, God loves you. He is for you. And he has a plan for you. It may not match what you would have wanted, but I promise, I promise you, I promise you, 
He always provides what you need, what I need. We can trust him. So I'd encourage you today, would you just let down the wall a little bit and trust him a little bit more today? Would you just rest on the promises that we know are true? Would you draw near to him in prayer? And maybe share with him again your desires. But trust him that he will meet you there. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for just the way that you have moved in history. Lord, we don't understand it even, how you could orchestrate this perfect plan in a fallen world. And we find ourselves so many times in places of disappointment. Lord, I pray for many here who carry pain. Some have carried long-term pain. Lord, I pray that today we would trust you again. We would draw near to you. We would trust your promises. Lord, I thank you that in this Christmas season, we don't just celebrate a story from 2,000 years ago. We celebrate the truth that you're alive and active and working in our lives today. So I pray for each of us here. I pray especially those who need to draw near to you. I pray that we would believe your promise that you are working all things for our good and that we are called according to your purpose, according to your perfect plan. We've seen you do it through Christmas. We believe you will do it through our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.